0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Cassell, and with me today is Dan Lyons.
1: Hello, everyone. Happy February. Happy Black History Month. Happy uh, Giant Blizzard, if you're on the East Coast like me. Uh, so I guess happy Snow Day to some. Um, happy Syracuse won some basketball over the weekend, which was nice.
0: Yeah, that was almost unexpected for a while um it was nice to see Syracuse do something positive on the uh, on the men's and women's side um but in particular the men's side where uh despite the fact that NC State was missing their missing their top two uh, scorers uh Syracuse decided to uh to Syracuse quite a bit and and uh and almost give away the game thankfully they did not um scoring a 3 point win over NC State at home i mentioned on twitter afterward but this is it's a win we needed, but it's not going to be like one of the ones that gets us in over the hump um, as much as like beating NC State on the road um, in less than two weeks is going to. Because I think if State's going to hang around in the NCAA pl- tournament picture, being able to, uh, you know, tack on a sweep of them and also a uh, a road win over a bubble team, I think is, is a positive overall.
1: Yeah, it have the feel of like kind of like a holding serve win, like you're not going to get blown away by winning that game by three, but, you know, we were down nine and kind of floundering going into the half. Um, and it almost felt worse than that. So I guess, like, being able to outstore that team by, by 12 in the second half, being able to hold them to 26 points after giving you know, up 47 in the first half, like, there are definitely positives there. But um, I don't think anyone's, like, feels like, you know, great, great after that win. But it's one that we needed. So uh, this season is kind of like a survive and advance year. So, you know, we'll certainly take it.
0: Honestly, like you you obviously want something a little more impressive. Again, w- without their top two scorers, you want um, a team to be able to beat. Um, you want Syracuse to be able to beat the pack a little more impressively, but at the same time, wins a win and uh, and, and take what we can get.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, and just like, you know, a loss would have been, I think, pretty, pretty devastating. But overall, I think like, I don't know that we learned – too much about the team with this one but you know getting to the 10 to 10 and 5 getting up to 500 in conference um and again just kind of holding serve considering like the rest of the conference is really all over the place I mean right now we have Miami beating Duke 31 28 which just seems like kind of uh on par with like the craziness that's been taking place in the ACC basically every day um so yeah every win is is gonna mean something I think so um I think we're in like fine position like obviously I think we could definitely use like a couple big wins here but uh certainly not in any position to be like resume wise super freaked out because there's plenty there's plenty to still be accomplished here. It's just a matter of like getting there, which is tough.
0: Yeah, I mean, admittedly, not a lot of big, big wins left on the schedule. Uh, but at the same time, like the fact that Syracuse has a win really one of the better results of the weekend was Virginia Tech knocking off Virginia. Yeah. Uh, because that definitely helps out SU's win um over the hokies uh Wednesday's game we'll talk about that l- later in the second half Wednesday's game against Louisville is going to be a big one for for Syracuse and their tournament hopes um obviously the game at Louisville in a couple weeks even more so but still I think any win over Louisville is a good one Clemson's kind of TBD um we really don't know what Duke and North Carolina are like so unfortunately like you when you first look at the schedule at the beginning of the season you say okay like this is a loaded back end of the schedule and it was we have no
1: teams left which is crazy
0: yeah, like as of
1: now, there are no ranked games left on our schedule.
0: Yeah, we we faced two ranked teams in uh, league play, and we went one and one against
1: them. That's it's nuts. Yeah, I mean the, um, the
0: ACC is just debilitatingly mediocre at this point, and I don't think this is the year for the reckoning there because of how disjointed the season is. How it's going to be pretty like power conference heavy in the large bids, assuming we get a full tournament. Uh, field just because it's going to be really hard to measure mid majors without playing in any of these like premier events, things like that. Um, But I think next year if the ACC continues like this kind of now what we're two years plus uh, run of mediocrity. I I think we do start to see um, the narrative. I mean, the narrative is there and it's hanging around, especially among ACC fans, but I think it becomes a much more pervasive one and one that actually starts affecting its ability to put more than like maybe six teams in tournament.
1: Yeah, you're not gonna cruise on on reputation when like the narrative finally flips over, and like obviously like this year, as you said, it's tough tough to like really have big takeaways just because of how hectic it is and and uh, just the whole the whole situation. It's it just feels like really haphazard in general, um, and it's not just the ACC. Like if you this like I said, I think I said it on Twitter. Like it, it this is like pretty clearly the 2007 college football year for college basketball. Every major team is pretty bad basically like some will make the tournament but there's not one duke kentucky kansas louisville uh ucla indiana dana for still counting them like all of the every team that's like in the top two tiers basically um as fungible as those are like not one of those programs having a great year it's baylor and gonzaga which you know gonzaga has been around forever and baylor pops up here and there but like i don't know i don't think it's a pretty, particularly great year for college basketball not just the acc because you know obviously having having the darlings is nice having the cinderellas we talk about it every year like you want to have cinderellas kind of poke their head out but at the end of the day you want like kind of established teams and and the big programs involved um, even if they don't win at all like you want them there to to drive interest and this year uh, who knows what that even looks like because you know duke probably makes a tournament but Duke's not really any good so like who like the, we could we could have a, a sweet 16 with like one or two recognizable programs.
0: Yeah, it would be strange, fun in some ways, uh even more fun if we're there, but I'm not necessarily banking on it. Uh realistically, like I wish it was two different programs that weren't like Blue Bloods or close. Uh hang like is like the the dominant programs this year. Um obviously my my noted disdain for for Gonzaga and uh and Baylor. Um, had which, which
1: I will say, to be fair, to very different levels of, of <laughs> how people should feel about those programs. Like right, the Gonzaga thing is much more of like a personal, a
0: personal pet thing. peeve. <laughs> <laughs> Baylor, there's various reasons where where most people should be a little bit uh, perturbed by that program, even if many of the key players in why things have went south are gone. um but yeah, I uh, I can't say I'm necessarily thrilled about those two programs being um, hovering around at the top. But Villanova and Virginia are always knocking at the door. Um, really, if I if those four teams made the Final Four, it's a it's a nightmare scenario for me. Um, at, at least some Syracuse fans would probably feel the same. But Dan, I think we'll get back into the men's team in a little bit. Did want to before we uh, dove too down far down that rabbit hole or the football rabbit hole. Um, women's basketball team. Uh, it was pretty rough uh, a week ago. You know, they had lost Louisville. You had uh, well, was a little more, more than a week ago, but lost Louisville, and then a loss to an undermanned Clemson team. Uh, but since then, rallied for a big win over Pittsburgh, eight to fifty-seven, and then a really nice uh, fourth quarter effort against Notre Dame, outscored them. What was it, twenty-three
1: to four? Something mean? like that. Maybe twenty-four
0: to three. We held them the before, box court, I know, you know that twenty-three to four. Um, It was a pretty tight game um, against a Notre Dame team that's been like feisty, but not overly impressive. Uh, But SU was able to get the win. They moved to nine and three overall, six and three um, in the ACC. Overall, like a good week for them, uh, you know, to pick up two wins, just continue momentum. I know they've been on rank now for a week. Um, Hopefully in the next week or so they can get back up into the top 25. I think this is largely an NCAA tournament team. Um assuming SU can pick up um, you know, an, another another quality win in here. Um, but I, I think that this is clearly one of the more, top twenty ish most talented teams in the country um when they're on. Um did know this week too. Uh Camilla Cardoso had her second straight um ACC, uh freshman of the year uh the week um award, which was great to see. And also great to see like I feel like Tiana had a pretty nice game um, here against Notre Dame in particular, 19 points, 11 assists, nine boards, um, near triple-double. So nice to see her kind of, you know, back in that sort of um, level of play, which she's been at at various points this year and understandably, like, may not be at the exact, exact level she was um, a couple of years ago. But still, I mean, strong effort here against a good opponent.
1: Yeah, I I think it's a very encouraging last uh, last week for the the women's program. Obviously, beating Notre Dame, I know it's not like the Muffet McGraw typical powerhouse Notre Dame team, but it's still a name program. It's still one that we've had a lot of trouble with over the last basically the entire time we've shared conferences with them. Um, so it means something, um, and to do it in the fashion they did, where they went went uh, behind really you know big early, they were outscored by thirteen in the first quarter, and then to hold a team to four points in the fourth quarter, like that's a really impressive, however you cut it, um, to turn a uh, a 13 point uh deficit into a 12 point win like very solid. Um so good work by them. Um obviously beating Pitt, I'm I'm not convinced we've ever lost to Pitt in women's basketball. Um I <laughs> like pit women's basketball like obviously I, Picks I or picture
0: it didn't know, happen.
1: I am not like intimately uh aware of everything that happens in that program. All I know uh with as with most of Pitt's, like non-revenue sports, it just seems like all oh, they're, they're 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 non-football sports are like dreadful all the time um and their football team isn't like anything like super right home about so it's not like uh it's not like they're mortgaging everything else for that but um outside of like basketball or basketball and football like it just seems like they really struggle to to compete in other sports but women's basketball i feel like we just beat them all the time and it's like it probably stands out more because of how much we struggle with their men's our It's like the opposite, like complete opposite in, in women's going back to like way before we were like a a super nationally relevant program too. So, uh, did keep that rolling with a nice, uh, 23 point win. Um, but yeah, no, I think they're, they're, I mean, in as much as I'm like super tapped into like the women's bracketology thing, like I, it feels like they should be a pretty strong lock to make the tournament. Um, they have a chance for a nice win, uh, hopefully tomorrow night. And it's Georgia tech, which is one of the few teams ahead of them in the ACC standings right now at seven and two in league. Um, so yeah, still some, some good opportunities here going forward.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and, and on the pit note, yeah, I do feel like it's, it's football in in, in general mediocrity. Pit is generally competitive. Uh, pit men's basketball is generally competitive. Um, and then the volleyball team teams were pretty good. Uh, on, yeah. On that's the, the one other one.
1: <laughs> What's should for them? Like they should be decent in other things too. Like, Obviously we all know, you know, where most of the attention lies in, in athletics, but like Charlie's make an effort.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, it, it's definitely, I mean, we, we were, we're trending this way at the end of our time in the big East, but I, I think we've definitely been the better all sports ad um, between us and Pitt. Uh, I, I think Louisville's got his beat slightly, if only because they've been more nationally relevant um, in a lot of like big sports, but you know,
1: Yep. Shout out to Dr. Gross for having us not be pit in non-revenues.
0: You know, d- d- I, like I, we, we've given Dr. Gross, you know, a lot of shit over the years, and I think he deserves it uh, in a lot of ways. But the the one place where he did actually make some headway that the university really needed was uh, in terms of you know non-revenue sports and and making them and viable. And honestly, I think that that was a at least part of how SU got the invite um, here, and then. Like like into the a c c and and how they've proven themselves to be um you know a, a a pretty valuable addition, even with the men's basketball team not necessarily performing up to you know typical standards in the football team floundering more often than that
1: yeah, no, I definitely like i think when anyone talks about like uh just conference stuff obviously the the eyeballs of the football and that's like where you know probably ninety percent of it is a c c is probably a little more like that balance of basketball, but um, I do think there, like there, there's plenty to count among like the other sports. Like you, you do want uh, kind of a balanced footprint. You don't want it to be just like you know. You don't want to make it look just super uh, skewed, especially when for Syracuse, it's always going to be a real struggle to be a like you know football power every year in, and year, in, year out. You can have success, and you can hopefully have more success than we've had in a long time. But um, just kind of showing that you're like focusing on everything and being like kind of holistic, I think, is good. So. Um, I've always appreciated that part of the the Dr. Gross experience, and and you can quibble about like, you know, how much he he devoted to certain things, or how much certain coaches were paid, or whatever. And like, certainly there are, there are good debates to have about that. But overall, I think the aim was was good, and I think he's largely succeeded on that. Where he you know failed elsewhere. Cough. G. Rob. Cough.
0: Yeah, I, I I completely agree on all that. Um, I think not this week, but in the next couple of weeks, we'll probably talk a little bit of women's bracketology. Um, I think men's bracketology is a conversation for next week um, after our next couple of games. But uh, Dan, just a little bit more time before halftime begins. Um, did, did want to chat uh, quick about the football team. Uh, I think one of the big, big pieces of news this week, uh, and, and and this is you know something that I think this is valuable, is getting a, you know, a high three-star recruit um, at the very least. Uh, McKinley Williams is coming back um, and, and, you know, defensive tackle has kind of been a, a, not a trouble spot in recent years, but definitely not the strongest um, from a depth perspective. Uh, Williams has really been like, you know, the defensive tackle for us. Uh, Josh Black's done some some good work and, and kind of spot there, but really the last couple of seasons, seasons um, McKinley Williams has been like the major bright spot um, at the tackle position. Have come, him coming in um, prevents, you know, a much more problematic situation for Syracuse. Um, forcing them to plug in a bunch of, um, you know, freshmen and sophomores who haven't really seen the field much. Uh, I, I know, uh, you know, Andy noted in his article um, up on the blog now, but, you know, three of the the top four linemen are back for Syracuse for next year. Uh, Cody Roscoe is the only uh, one we don't know about, but Josh Black is back, as is Kingley Jonathan. Um, I would assume Roscoe's back at this point, especially with, um, you know, no news there and combine invites going out. Um, I do feel like it would be a benefit for him to come back, uh, hopefully, and maybe, uh, you know, impress scouts a bit. But realistically, like, all these guys coming back for their uh, kind of super senior uh, year is super helpful for for Syracuse because I do feel that defensive line was one area where, well, last year there were a lot of young kids playing at a variety of spots. Uh, defensive line was the one that really wasn't the case uh, and and having to kind of hit reset there. Um, given kind of the youth, but but great experience that that we got, you know, in, in the rest of the defense. Um, it, it's good to see Williams back. Um, and it's good to see the rest of these guys back too. And I think that should really, really help um this group be able to coalesce a lot quicker um in the three three five scheme.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think it should be overstated, honestly. It's or it could be overstated. It's um I think defensive tackle is probably if not the second, the third hardest position to recruit, especially to get like immediate impacts at besides like quarterback. Um, and to have someone who's so experienced and so effective inside is going to be huge, especially in this three three five 3 Um scheme. So it's, it's, it's really, really big news. Uh, and like you said, because last year we, we kind of, we rolled out so many young guys in the, the back half of the defense um, who will be stepping into, I mean, not really bigger roles, just like more expected big roles this year. Um, but to, to have a, uh, to have our defensive front look pretty solidified in terms of like bringing back guys that we know can can play and played pretty well last year, like I think the defense, you know, should be a major upside. I think there's a d- a good chance that we feel like a, a top like you know I don't want to be crazy but like a top thirty thirty five defense in ball ball wouldn't be out of the realm, especially if we can keep like the turnover magic going and and hopefully the offense kind of meets it halfway.
0: Yeah, I agree. Really, if the office can even be capable. We're talking like top 70 um, and, and paired with a defense that takes like maybe a step forward or so. And that could very well happen um, even yeah. with the loss of, of the defensive backs. Like that's a group that challenges for a bull bid. And, and, and really like with, with the ACC as haphazard as it, as it has been like, who knows what else? Like I, I think the football schedule and we don't really have time to talk about like the full football schedule. Um, like we usually would uh, here after it was released last week. I there were no surprises there. Everybody knew who we were gonna face. Uh the order was the only uh, you know, real difference there. I, I think that this is a this is a tough schedule. Um if SU is going to look like they did last year. I think it's a workable schedule if they're going to even look like they did for like the back half of uh of like the twenty nineteen season, uh realistically. I, I think a lot hinges on, you know, relative health. And and in having an offense that that looks capable, if you can do those two things, um, I I don't see why Syracuse can't contend for six wins.
1: No, I think if we're decent, I think it's a good schedule for us because, like. Obviously Ohio is not a walk over Mac game. Like it's a game we should win, but it's a, it's a solid program. Rutgers took a big step forward this year under Greciano and they should probably take another step forward next year. So it's not, it's not like a, a penciled in win by any means, but if you're a decent team, like you should win that game at home. And then you have the Albany game and the Liberty game, Liberty, who knows what they look like this year. I don't know how much they're expected to lose, but they held on to Hugh freeze um, barring any craziness going forward here with coaches, but um so it's not like it's not a super easy schedule but i think if syracuse is decent next year they have a chance to get off to a good start and that's uh promising and then you have florida state who's always a question mark wake forest which like i feel like wake forest like the bellwether game in terms of like if we're good we beat wake forest and if we're bad we lose to wake forest it kind of just like tells you exactly what's gonna happen the rest of the the <laughs> rest of the year no matter when it is um so yeah it's it you know if we're not to get to six wins i think we'll find out pretty quick if it's realistic and, and, I mean you know, really that's the, very that, important
0: <laughs> I was going to say like that, that October ninth game, like those first six and I know we said we we're going to talk about the, the football schedule, but note, uh, I thinking, no I no, think noting this one thing um, you look at the the schedule through October 9th at Ohio Rutgers, Albany, Liberty at Florida State, Wake Forest. that's the first six games uh, before the Clemson game. I think if you can get I think if you can get to five you you're going bowling. I think if you if you're at four, you're in good shape. I think if you're at three, you're in deep, deep trouble.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's fair. It all depends on like what pit looks like, what MC State looks like, which is again like always important. Uh, one, case, but, <laughs> one might argue. yeah, one hundred percent NBC, like all, always, like you know the toss up games, the toss up games every year. But um, if you're at four, I think you're in like pretty decent shape. Obviously, things can go haywire, but um, I think that three four cut line is going to be really vital. Next year, uh, after the after that week game,
0: yeah, I, I completely agree. Like, the, the, there's there, again, there's a lot of intrigue here. Um, I'm not willing to necessarily like. Other than, I feel like Louisville slowly like taking the place of Pitt as like the sure loss, and Pitt's becoming this new thing of like narrow loss every year because like Pitt was just the sure loss. I mean, it's been the sure loss for for a very long time after years of not of being a sure win. Um, for a very long time. And, and I do feel like whenever I look at the schedule now, I just tell myself like, it's going to be a loss. And then I like walk to the next game.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, Louisville. we'll see what happens with them since like uh their coach kind of uh, got off on the wrong foot this year with, uh with the program after like a, a surprising first year, like he uh flirted with the South Carolina job and like everyone got really mad. So they're in a weird position, but you know, stuff might be fine by September, but it wouldn't surprise me if Louisville got like kind of haywire.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, I, think, I think Louisville is going to be a super interesting team to look at um, over the course of this year. And really, if if the wheels fall off here, I am curious if Louisville just pulls the plug on Satterfield, um, despite how well he did in year one.
1: Yeah, I think I don't I don't know that he's on the hot seat, but I think he did enough weird damage this offseason um, that will like they might. It wouldn't shock me if someone did something rash or if they were just like tired of the whole experience after that. Just like clearly he's looking to take the step forward and like. It's hard to blame a coach for that because, like, that's what they all do. But um, I guess everyone loves it, lights it more when they do like the underhanded thing and just kind of disappear into the night. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not defending coaches. Like, the whole thing is gross, and I totally get it. But I do think, as we're currently constituted, there's kind of no winning.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree that there's and, and Louisville is the type of athletic department that would do something rash here. So, so I, I'm fine to let this play out.
1: Yeah. So that, that is all to say that hopefully we can see the one in Louisville next year, but we'll, we'll get to that. We have, we have, you know, our entire lives to talk about that game since uh, it's not for a long time.
0: Agreed. Uh, one more thing before halftime um, here. Uh, National signing day is Wednesday. Much of the hoopla as we've discussed previously is kind of removed from this day at this point with uh, early signing period, kind of locking in your class. Uh, the one guy we're waiting on um, in terms of commits is Jalen Moss. I, I, th- I think he's a pretty sure bet to be in, in orange. He's a cousin of Arthur and Chandler Jones. He's from Fairport, uh, New York, definitely. Um, and he's defensive tackle, so another guy who can help out depth um, on the defensive line. Uh, so looking forward to seeing him sign on Wednesday. Um, two outstanding targets uh, that we'll wait to hear about, and it seems like both are going to make decisions this, this week. Uh, Jacob Bradford, uh, he's an Iowa Central a community college, so a JUCO transfer um, at tackle. Uh, it's a bigger dude, 6'4, 300 uh, pounds. It seems like it's between us and Virginia Tech. Uh, so that should be interesting. I'd like to like I'd like to see us add another like P5 level transfer. And I feel like SU after adding Schrader has kind of lost some momentum there. And maybe that's worth talking about again next week. But um still good to, to add a, a JUCO guy and somebody that has other P5 interest. Um the other player uh, that SU seems to be, you know, targeting late here. So, uh, Chase Simmons, a, a Coastal Carolina commit uh, at defensive end, uh, who wears only P5 offer. Uh, he is 6'4", 240, so maybe a little undersized um, at the end spot. But kind of interesting that, that we're going that route. Um, last, did want to mention uh, Texas transfer Willie Tyler. I don't think he's going to make a decision anytime soon. Uh, but dude who's seven, three 335 pounds, uh, would definitely be a welcome addition to this uh Syracuse offensive line uh, on the offensive line front though t v d about um how much Mike Cavanaugh's departure um affects this. it seems like Dino's getting more involved in, in in those sort of recruiting conversations uh for both you know juco and high school uh prospects as well as uh, transfers so you know maybe Dino getting involved helps deal with some of that uh that uh fallout but We'll see. I, I think uh, I think we'd like to see a little more momentum on the on the transfer front. We also only have so many spots available. So I I'd, hopefully in the next couple of weeks we get to solidify what the roster looks like for next year, um, and, and and you know who's kind of in the door so that we can start looking ahead at, at, at where some trouble areas and where some areas of strength really are.
1: Yeah, obviously it's going to be important to see what we do uh, with the offensive line coaching position. If we just kind of shift things around internally, or if we go outside, which I think we would both, probably both love to see. Um, but it's all, you know, a big question, not having like the big coaching convention this year probably makes, um, I didn't really think about this last time when we were talking about it before. I think the Tavanaugh news was since we last recorded, so it's still kind of fresh, but, um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I do kind of wonder how not having the big in-person coaching convention the week of the national championship makes, um, these late assistant coach switches like more difficult like obviously guys have the rolodexes and have their experience with um other people and other staffs but like that's where so much of this stuff was is is done um so i do wonder uh what direction we go there if we wait until after signing day since there's a chance that if we go to the outside like um you know someone will want to wait until signing day because that's another kind of gross coach thing that happens um but, yeah, it's, uh, that'll be, I think, pretty determinative, especially with the like potential uh, transfers. Um, seeing who their actual position coach will be uh, is obviously going to be huge. But I do appreciate Babers getting more involved. Obviously, they can't hurt, I don't think.
0: Yeah, and really, like I, I do hope that there's somebody plugged in. Uh, it probably Whoever he is probably won't be plugged in before uh, National Signing Day, but I wouldn't be surprised if we hear news this week. Um, just because the, the whole way it played out, Um, considering how much Kavanaugh seemed to do well enough on the recruiting front, but not too well in the on-field results. um, I'm curious if just this was a change that needed to happen versus like wanted to happen. And you saw something where like, you know, Dino has seemingly decent amount of connections on the ASU staff. Um, SU has other connections on the ASU staff as well. Maybe this was something where Kavanaugh was set up with a quality landing spot. ASU needed an offensive line coach. Um, So it, you know, created this moment where SU could kind of casually move on without firing Kavanaugh um, and, and save face for everybody. Uh, but, but we'll see there. Um, I, I know a couple names that, that we've thrown out there. Um, you know, Kyle DeVan, uh, former O-line coach at Arizona. Uh, Jack Bicknell, Jr., offensive line coach at Auburn. Uh, Matt Maddox would probably be the most likely. He was the offensive line coach and run game coordinator at UTSA, and he worked under Dino and Sterling Gilbert uh, most of their previous spots. Um, Herb Hand, uh, formerly of Texas, uh, now it's Charlotte. uh, Somebody we could potentially, uh, you know, get to jump before uh, even coach a game. Those would be the main picks. Um, I think I noted a few others in last week's article, but, um, yeah, I I definitely hope that we, instead instead of some sort of reshuffle, um, where we just see like Mike Lynch take on the offensive line, Reno ferry take running backs, and then like Jeff Lepack move up from offensive analyst to special team's coach like I do think we need i do think we need an infusion of like different like thinking and talent um in the offensive line coach spot
1: yeah i I actually didn't realize her hand and I saw it before this, but i didn't realize he landed at Charlotte after being let go at Texas, but He's like probably the biggest name available. He was a James Franklin guy at the Vandy in Penn State and then went to Auburn in Texas. Um, and he's, uh, I think he's uh, from the Utica area. So there's some connections. Then he's like a big time recruiter. So I'm not I'm not totally sure why he's at Charlotte now. Like not to. Not <laughs> Seems to, weird. Yeah, no, it's just weird that like that no one else took a shot at him. He's like a really top top end recruiter. Um, he recruited really well at Texas. Like I think offensive line is like one of the things that actually took like a big step forward under, under Herman. Um, and then he was like, you know, a huge part of that Penn State staff when Fred James Franklin, you know, started building things there. So, um yeah, if he wants to pack in the P5, I think that would be a, a great hire. Um Super, like, affable guy as well. Um People would like him online a lot here, I think. But, uh yeah, I, I, I'm just kind of, like, tending towards expecting us to just kind of do a a pretty non-splashy thing. But um if you can just go poach him out from, from UNC Charlotte, which is, like, you know, it's a nice, like, growing program, but... Um, I have to expect that he like does see himself getting back into the into the P five at some point where he's coached since like 2010. So that'd be nice. Also, we have some connections to him. I think uh, I don't know who was touching Tulsa in the late 2000s. I don't know if we have connections there, but there might be there might be some. Oh well, yeah, it was Montgomery still then, or maybe not. I, I, I think they missed here.
0: each other. I think they missed each other in Tulsa by like a year. Yeah, no, I'm looking
1: at. It. it was actually it was actually Todd Graham. I forgot Todd Graham was somewhere before more than a year. Before <laughs> At Tulsa for like four years, which is, is unthinkable. Um, yeah, but so that would be uh, that would be probably the most interesting one. Um, that just kind of jumps off the page, but but it's kind of a it's kind of speculative, I think, just based on him just taking another job recently.
0: Totally, and yeah, like believe me, if it was a P5 job that uh, that he had taken, I wouldn't even consider it. Uh, and the local connections help, but we'll see. Um, Dan, before we take a break for halftime, uh, I did want to talk about our sponsor. Home Field Apparel. Everybody should be familiar with Homefield Apparel. Uh, incredibly comfortable, affordable, especially uh, licensed gear uh, from all your favorite schools, including Syracuse, but also not limited to Syracuse. Um, Dan and I have mentioned many of the shirts that we're big fans of. Um, their hoodies are incredibly comfortable. Uh, there's just a lot to like about Homefield. They're also just fun, great people um, as well. You you probably noticed the uh, sad Yukon Husky joggers. Um, we would we, obviously love to have some joggers as well. Um, I'm sure if enough Syracuse fans harass home field as, uh, as you kind uh, did we could potentially get some joggers as well.
1: I don't know if we could possibly launch the same kind of online campaign to do that. <laughs> um, just and that's not to say anything about the Syracuse fan base, the UConn thing took on such a life of its own. <laughs> um, <laughs> and also we do not have a, a logo that's, um unfortunately we have some great logos and some great retro logos we i don't think we have anything that really uh stands up to the sad Husty in terms of just like just the bizarre nature of it like we have otto who is bizarre just like in totality but he's just kind of ubiquitous as well like no one like bats an eye at, at like weird otto logos from the past the sad Husty is just like so perfect so um i wasn't surprised uh at all that that started um but also i would i would i would like some joggers yes i if if that becomes like a a most stools are like you know the stools that uh sold a lot the first door round thing where we can uh get some funky auto into on some joggers i am i am fully interested
0: no i I don't want i mean the the, the su banner logo and would look, look pretty good on joggers
1: yes yeah i agree and then also, yes, we did uh, already start kind of badgering them to recreate the sweatshirt that Pete Davidson wore on SNL. <laughs> that set, that, as I predicted, set like literally for like an hour on Twitter that night was the only thing that was being tweeted about yeah, in the Syracuse right. corner <laughs> of the internet because it was like the loudest possible Syracuse hoodie he could have found.
0: Oh, of course. Uh, but yeah, on home field, uh, people can use uh, Noon's 10, to get 10% off their order. So, uh, if you're ordering for yourself, I mean, it's almost Valentine's Day. You want to order for a loved one, uh, or maybe yourself. Want to tell yourself how much you love yourself and Syracuse um, on Valentine's Day? Perfect timing to, uh, to to use that code. That's noon's ten. But uh, Dan, yes. what are you? What, what have you been drinking?
1: Um, I've been back in the game, uh, recently, um, I'm in, I'm in Connecticut visiting my parents, uh, this week, um, and I stocked up on some local Stanford beers. So I had, uh, some Tom like a bomb from locked city that was still lingering around from Christmas that I had some of, and then, uh, I got four different things from half full, the, the bigger brewery in my hometown, um, their winter style vanilla, st- uh, vanilla stout, which was uh, quite good, really nice, like kind of gentle, not overpowering vanilla, Um, really well-balanced flavors uh, in that one. Um, And then two from their uh, Stam Vegas series, their uh, their Viva Stam Vegas uh, New England IPA, which was quite good. And then the Welcome to Fabulous Stam Vegas Sour IPA, which they've had for a couple years now. That's very popular. Um, And then also had their North Stamford, which was a grapefruit uh, Belgian, uh beer which uh, I hadn't had I've been drinking very many I feel like wheat beers were so huge like right around when I turned 21 and it's funny cuz like I just barely ever drink them now so it was nice to actually crack a new one of those open um, they're, they're
0: coming back as our black IPAs right now.
1: I love black IPAs so I fully support both of these things just to like mix it up. Um but yeah no it's funny cuz like I feel like when I was like 21 to 24 like wheat beers were like the the biggest <laughs> thing and then I remember just totally just totally out of vogue like all of a sudden, but uh, it was nice to to, to break those up. Which are you know they're delicious and they're super refreshing. Uh, probably not the the right season for it, considering I'm looking out of a, a basement window that is completely covered in snow. But um, still like thoroughly enjoyed that one too. So some good stuff from my local Connecticut breweries here.
0: Very nice. Uh, speaking of your local Connecticut breweries, I didn't mention to you that I was I actually went out. Completely outside, uh there was like a food hall that was doing like a completely outdoor seating um in the grass near me, um and the beer spot they had in there had uh two roads on draft
1: oh, very nice,
0: which That's I, was, that, like, I mean, sur- I've never seen two roads out here,
1: yeah, I can't be like too surprised they're pretty clearly I think the biggest Connecticut brewery now, so it's not like shocking, shocking that they would get all the way out there, but still a bit like considering I remember when they opened right. um but yeah nice, nice little beer scene here in Connecticut, so uh I always like to to try the newest stuff, especially here in my hometown, where like the two breweries are getting quite good, which is nice. Um, uh, Lock City and and Half Full, uh, and they start to they're they're spreading out a little bit, so you can kind of find them, um, not too much outside the state, but like maybe in like Westchester County a little bit in the city. Um, so it's cool to cool to support them whenever I'm here, and I try to go try whatever they have going on.
0: Nice. Uh, make mine quick here. I had a few different things this week. Um, Highland Park. As I mentioned all the time, they had um, their West Coast, one of their West Coast IPAs, Neon, um, in cans. So I grabbed some of those this week. It's a Mosaic Galaxy and Citra Hops, uh, some of my favorites. So really glad to get that one fresh. I uh, had some Timbo Pills because they had fresh cans of that. Um, had from Beachwood blendery uh, Illuminaire, was a uh, Pete's Lambic that was super, super good. I uh, really enjoyed that one. And then um, I know I mentioned I was uh, outdoors ha- having a drink and some lunch. Um, went to Bottlecraft Long Beach. Had a Alvarado Streets uh, prot- tr- protracted period of uncertainty. It was a uh, dark lager, uh, so not like a usual style I drink, but like super light, crisp, refreshing. Definitely enjoyed it. Uh, despite the you, you would have thought with the darker hue uh, that it was going to be a heavier beer, but it was not. Only about five percent.
1: Nice. I'm all about, I, I really enjoy like a dark locker or a black IPA, something that's like maltier, but still crisp and refreshing. So I'm definitely, uh, if, if we get more black IPAs this year, I'm, I'm very for that.
0: I know stone brought back their sublimely self-righteous. Um, oh man. I haven't had
1: that in years. Well, they
0: took it off the market. It was completely off. Um, hmm. So yeah, sublimely self-righteous is back. Um, I know modern times put out one. I think a couple other breweries have already mentioned it and it's still like pretty early. Nice. Yeah. So black IPAs are back. Tell your friends. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Talking about Syracuse men's basketball and what the hell happened um, during Sunday's game. I have some, I have some thoughts uh, mostly that um, if Kadari Richmond doesn't start on Wednesday, uh, we've got some real problems.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, I, like Starting is what it is. Like he just needs to be playing like most of the team. That's, it's it's getting kind of outrageous that like it's even a question. He's like how do you really play he only played sixteen minutes on on, on Yeah, uh, six for seven. Yeah, six for seven, two for two from the free throw line, didn't take any stupid shots, as evidenced by the six for seven. I'm shocked he only had one assist, but like still his D he's the best defensive guard on the team. That's been the case for pretty much the whole year, which is crazy to think about. Um, yeah. it has about as much to do with the other defense of the guards defensively as it does him being pretty good for a freshman. Um, well,
0: also considering one player literally grew up playing two, three zone,
1: yeah. Um, <laughs> it's just like I, it the team just looks more comfortable with him in like almost all the time. Um, so yeah, if, if you want to start, start, uh, Bayheim and Gerard, uh, I almost I almost did the full like call in the YMCA boys, but that's like <laughs> entirely too mean for <laughs> what, like, that was that was a bit much from that, uh, you know, love, love an anonymous coach. Um, but uh, if they, you know, if they both store like twenty points next game, like I know we're going to adopt that as our own. Um,
0: well, the but, thing is though, the YMCA, YMCA like if, if not for a certain political figure, uh, the YMCA would be a completely like great student <laughs> section thing.
1: <laughs> but oh, since, it's, be, since
0: that song's been ruined forever,
1: <laughs> the poor village people definitely didn't ask for this. Um, yeah, no, I mean I, I still support that for next year. Like if we can. You know, all if we all have like the men in black, like mine eraser pen, uh, and then we also, you know, get through coronavirus, um, and we can have fans next year, like both those things. Uh, maybe we can bring that back if, if Joe Jordan and Boeheim, like live up next year. But in any case, like I'm totally fine, like riding a hot hand, like Buddy obviously picked it up as the team went along on Sunday, but Kaderi just needs to be in there. The offense just runs so much better with him out there, it's better defensively. Um, it adds another option because like there aren't that many guys who are willing to slash um you have multiple ball handlers uh multiple people to run the the offense through with him and marek um it just like everything looks better when he's in there like almost all of the time and if like if yeah if he's plugged in for like five or six minutes and he's just been bad then like sure pull him but like more often than not he's like one of the best players in the court when we play him so it's just getting it's very frustrating that we just can't reliably know that he's going to get a fair shake in a game when like we all know that our offense is going to go into the tank for like a five minute stretch at some point. And it almost always seems to turn around once he's in there and given the chance to, to, to get things on track. So um, hopefully the fact that he played almost the entire second half was a good sign, but you know, this varies game to game so much that it's hard to like know for sure.
0: I mean, I'm looking at, and says not to pick out, to pick on just like Gerard, but like, I'm looking at the numbers here five points against NC state, eight points against Virginia, five points against Virginia tech He broke out for 23 against Miami, but then two against Pitt, six against North Carolina. Like Joe has like three times as many single digit games this year as he does like double digit games. Like this is, this is a trend at this point. And it's if you, if you're shooting well, and and you're poor on defense it's something we can accept if you're good on defense and shooting poorly it's something we can accept but at this point joe's only averaging 10.2 points per game um he's not really dishing like a ton of assists i mean he's still doing well enough i guess but you know he's and he's not really hitting from the floor he's 34 percent shooter from the field he's a 34.4 percent shooter from outside like he's 21 to 25 free throws. He hasn't, he's taken, taken six free throws since mid January. Zero in the last two games. Like I, I, I have sympathy for the fact that he had coronavirus and like, obviously like that's not something I wish on anybody. And especially, you know, him dealing with that and asthma and everything else like that's awful, but like, just be like, but that doesn't mean you necessarily just get like free pass for like, like if we have an option to put in there instead, I, I feel like at this point, like Richmond is that option um, because Joe's not necessarily producing um, to any level uh, that, that that we really need him to, especially for someone playing, you know, twenty five minutes a game. And he's played at least twenty two minutes every single game this year, except for the Buffalo game when he played sixteen.
1: Yeah, I just I, I think we have enough shooting too on the rest of the the rest of the starting five because obviously Griffin is you know. Shooting 35% this year, you know, he, I think he's he has a higher ceiling than that, but at the very least, he's like a, a deep threat always. And if Buddy's in there, Buddy's a major threat, even if he's, you know, in a prolonged slump. Uh, and even Derrier, like, you can't leave him alone. He's proven that this year, which is nice. A, you know, pretty big aspect to his team, helps spread the floor. And even Rex spreads the floor himself. He doesn't shoot for me outside, but you have to follow him to the free throw line where he's more than happy to take that jumper and, and, or drive the lane. So we have enough floor, floor spacing um, without Joe or buddy in there all the time that you can afford, I think, to have today in there most of the time, because like, there's always going to be three other shooters on the floor.
0: Yeah. Like realistically, like if you're going to run a golden state warriors type setup, you need five guys who can shoot from outside. who can also like drive the lane can create space. And, like, at least a couple, like, quality defenders. So, like, what we've been doing is having five shooters, but only, like, three of them really shoot from outside. Um, Quincy does here and there. Uh, Marek doesn't necessarily that much anymore. And, like, you have maybe, like, one-ish, one-and-a-half defenders in that setup. I just don't know if, like you said, I'd rather, and and Kadari can shoot so this isn't even like something where like we're, we're trading anything like, like, like Richmond has found ways to, to impact games and be much more efficient um, than most of the other players on the floor. So, so to me, it's, it's a no brainer to upgrade your defense and I mean, at least compared to recent results, like upgrade your offense too by putting them out there. And it's kind of confusing as to why we're still resisting giving Richmond, you know, the, the minutes that he clearly deserves.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's been frustrating all year because I think we've, you know, if you go back, I'm sure we talk about this like every other week, but it's it's been pretty apparent since the first couple of games uh, that Kadari is going to be a big piece here and does bring something different that we don't have otherwise in the team. So, yeah, to, to make it such like a question mark whether he's going to get like 10 minutes or 30 minutes just seems very confusing at this point. Like, I, I don't know, it, I don't want to, just like pile on here, but we have enough of a sample size now where I, I, I don't think our eyes are lying to us. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um,
0: one other thing uh, before we get to Louisville game very quickly. Um, I'm sure everybody's already seen it. Uh, when Jim Beheim noted about Syracuse's nine and one record at home uh, today he said no idea. I guess the fans aren't as important as we thought. Uh, that's a vintage Jim quote, admittedly. Um, and the type of thing that he would absolutely say, I just don't know if this is the season for it. And I will leave it at that.
1: Yeah, I like appreciate just the smarminess of it. But also like, it's a, it's a weird thing to say. Like, I don't, there's no real upside there for like dragging your own fans. I don't think that's like necessarily what he meant. Like, I, he probably didn't mean that as like a Syracuse fan thing. He probably meant that as like the fan impact on a basketball team is like probably always been a little overrated. And I'm, I'm willing to buy that. But there's no, like, there's no way to read that off, like. Yeah, what's the, the benefit? The other, than, like, other than, like, oh, Syracuse fans just kind of meh. <laughs> Which, like. <laughs> Which, that's, yeah, that's it was really...
0: just e- e- is easy, easy troll bait for, uh, for UConn fans and everybody else.
1: And also just, like, I'm sure there's going to be someone who doesn't renew season tickets in that year. that quote. Like, they probably shouldn't have take, taken that seriously. It's, like, not that big a deal. But it's going to happen. We know that so actors is going to find out there's, like a group of like 10 people that complained that said they're, they're not renewing their 28 year season tickets um, that they've, you know, they've had forever uh, because they, maybe didn't show enough deference to them in a quote that maybe wasn't exactly what he meant, but you know, still, it's still a very funny quote. So like at the end of the day, I kind of appreciate <laughs> it on that level more than anything else. I looked okay. at it. I like, I think I literally like, laughed out loud when I saw that. This, so that
0: did I. I was like, I like, <laughs> oh, yeah this gym, like realistically. <laughs> <got> <laughs> Just, just just zingers all day. Um, all right. Quick thing uh, before we go. Didn't want to talk about the game against Louisville. Louisville's been in a little bit of a tough stretch lately. They've lost uh, three of the last five. Uh, they did beat Duke. They did beat Georgia Tech, but also lost to Clemson, lost to Florida State, lost to Miami. One of those is not defensible. Um, the other two, uh, Florida State and Clemson, being defensible ones, um, I guess you could deal with. Overall, Louisville is like a high bubble slash already in team. Um, And interestingly, not a good three-point shooting team, uh, which fits in with the zone's capabilities or whatever you want to call them this year. Um, I I feel like we've still managed to have a really good um, opposing three-point field goal percentage this year, despite the struggles. Um, And so that fits with what Louisville is doing, but I feel like we're going to get killed inside.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm worried. I think Louisville. I a they they play stuff all the time. We know this, um, but they have some like pretty quality centers. Uh, Williamson, Dre Davis, who are both pretty effective, play like 25, 30 minutes. They both score about eight points a game. Um, it doesn't take a great center to uh, to really do damage inside, as we've seen in previous games. Uh, shout out to Jay Huff. Um, like you guys can certainly have. Like you can add in well the the random uh white guy off the bench hit a, shooting you know a bunch of threes and getting like his three or high this year you can add in like a center who's usually just like who's like Todd marla turns into Shaq for a game <laughs> um just like not my favorite thing like I think I don't know what's whats more demoralizing getting like eaten up from the outside because we don't rotate over ever um and someone who has never uh you know never store twenty points gets like gets it in like fifteen minutes of play or having a center who they just throw it down to and eats us alive because we have Marek playing at a position uh for you know the fourth straight year um and can't like handle that kind of load inside, but we keep on asking him to so i don't know i'm not sure which i dis- which i dislike more
0: I, I i can't choose there there's just so many options um, <laughs> they're both
1: they're both so good um, we <laughs> might I have. have- Barama back, uh, maybe to a limited degree, which is nice. I guess I'll,
0: I'll, I'll take ten minutes of Varama just for the. Uh,
1: yeah, like honestly, I I I said it last week. I think I don't I don't think any of us realize that we would miss him as much as we have, and that's like only a, you know, he's he's up and down, but I, I do think like his presence will make a pretty big difference if he's like healthy at all.
0: Yeah, I I, I think that's pretty fair. Uh, just because we 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 need another body in there, we need somebody who can alter shots, block shots. Um, and, and, and while Marek is a tenacious defender and, and, and has his moments there, he's not at, um, Quincy probably isn't either like our best shot blocker is, uh, is Griffin. Um, and, and if you need to know kind of some of SU's issues, um, in terms of, uh, interior defense, that's definitely one of them. Um, but yeah, Louisville does have, I mean, Ken Palm says we're going to win this game by one, but, um, Louisville does have, uh, quite a few players who can drive the ball inside. Um, again, as mentioned, they're very much a two-point shooting team. They do drive the lane. Uh, David Johnson could very well um, eat us alive. Uh, Dre Davis, maybe as well. Um, I think we, I think we lose this game. So I'm going to say 74 to 71, um, but again, that 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 margin is, is is so slim and and rightfully so because I do think this is going to be a pretty tight game.
1: Um, yeah, I'm like torn because like I would normally pick us to lose, but I feel like it's weird that the like Ken Palm has us as a, as a favorite Um, BPI has us like, uh, you know, 60 something percent chance to win. It just seems like the computers are way more bullish on us than like the actual fans are and the people who watch the team are. Well, because um,
0: the, is the defensive rankings in particular yeah. um, on, on the computer rankings give us much more credit than we probably deserve.
1: That's fair. I just like I wonder if it's like a thing where like we're we're all missing something about Louisville, maybe or about the matchup. But um, I'll be optimistic just because we did win this last one, and like you know, I'm gonna try to try to keep the the good good vibes flowing here. I'm gonna go. Other Syracuse takes it again, like a very close one, as you said. I'm gonna go seventy
0: nine seventy eight.
1: Hey, I buy that. One point, so, just so- like. Really stressful.
0: <laughs> so, so, so just hope the disloyal idiots are uh, are wrong, and and all will be okay. I think if we win this game, um, odds definitely go up considerably uh, to make the tournament. Just because while Louisville is not what people necessarily thought they could be, I think they're still a solid tournament team. So, that this would be kind of our second marquee win of the season. I think we need at least one more to feel even decent, but. Yeah, I I I think you know one game at a time. If if you take this one, there's at least some solid momentum now heading into the back part of the schedule.
1: I think this one would like would make us look like we're pretty firmly in that top half of the ACC. Um, in as much as there's like a top half and a bottom half, it's not <laughs> just like one morass of mediocrity. And um, Virginia,
0: well, Virginia, and Virginia Tech, I guess sitting us out of everybody.
1: Yeah, what a what a weird year. Florida State's probably in that mix too. Yeah. Um, but no, I think we would pr- pretty much stamp ourselves in that top that top eight um until further notice at least
0: agreed um dan anything else before we head out
1: no uh hopefully that one does well hopefully we have another decent week on with both of our basketball programs um and yeah just kind of marching on everyone everyone obviously stay safe and keep on keep on living your uh fun drowned hot day existences <laughs>
0: On that note, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Nunes and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, Megaphone, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, anywhere you listen to podcasts, and go orange.
1: Go orange.